here is a topic that I have been um, kind of avoiding, guys. So you guys know here on uh, I Have Something to Say, I keep it all the way real with you guys, and I share really personal, uh, intimate parts of myself, of my life, uh, for many different reasons. Um, and it's not all to just help you guys. This is actually therapeutic for me. Sometimes, you know, um, internalizing something only helps you keep it on the inside of you where it can fester and live and grow, okay? But getting it out, exposing it to the light. Do you guys know that fungus, when exposed to sunlight, dies? So this thing that has been going on uh, with me and Mr. Reed has become like a festering fungus in my heart. There you go. Literally. I'm not doing it. Guys, I'll be right back. Mr. Reed uh, calling me on duo. Okay, so family, we have broken up again.
Say it's my fault. Say that I left you outside in the cold with a broken heart. I really don't care. Say what you like. <laughs> Just as long as we are saying goodbye. Yeah, exactly. So anyway... Yeah, so uh, about three weeks ago, we fought our last fight. Now, guys, I know that, you know, you've heard segments about me encouraging marriages, and I was just so happy, you know, that we had reunited after our three-year separation. I was giving all the glory and praise and honor to the Most High for my marriage. I praised Yahuwah for a man that refused to keep the Sabbath with me. I praised Yahuwah for a man that would play secular, worldly, sexually suggestive music in my home, in my ear gates, when he knows how I'm living my life, when he knows how I view secular music. I mean, my thing is this, right? Headphones. Headphones were created so that people didn't have to be subjected to other people's music, right? Right. Um, I had the nerve to praise Yahuwah for a man that was supposed to be my head. The Bible says that the husband is head of the wife as Yahushua is head of the husband and Yahuwah is head of Yahushua, right? Something like that. <laughs> I'm serious though. Guys, this isn't a Bible segment today. I'm just, I'm venting. I'm letting it out. Um, so we are broken up. Have you guys heard my uh, toxic series I was doing um I did a couple I wouldn't even call it a series but I did do a couple of uh segments on toxic toxicity in relationships and I did one uh are you the toxic partner for a long time I blamed myself my attitude my mouth my childhood my upbringing I blamed these I blame the, the fall of our marriage or the failure of our marriage on these things, on myself. You know, I convinced myself that there had to be something wrong with me, you know. So the three years that we were separated, I literally uh, drew closer to the most high than I had ever been in my life. And I really, you know, I studied the scriptures and, um, you know, the, the Ruach HaKodesh revealed to me the type of wife that uh, Sarah actually was. And I fashioned myself to be that type of wife. OK, so when we first got back together, he was just like, oh, my God, you know, why weren't you always like this? You're amazing. Oh, my God. And I'm like, kind of like I really was always like that. And, and what he meant was, you know, I saw I, I believe in, you know, servitude. I served my husband. From morning to night. If his back hurt, I was making, mixing and rubbing and making creams to massage it. If his feet needed rubbing, I rubbed them. 
if they smelt putrid, I would make concoctions to kill the fungus under his toenails and remove the odor from his feet. Um, and I'm not patting myself on the back, family. I'm just really being honest. You know what I mean? There was nothing that I wouldn't do to make my husband happy, but nothing I did made my husband happy. Um, my husband just wanted to be left alone. And, you know, that's his prerogative, right, to just be left alone. You know, he didn't want... We were back together for nine months, family. Not once did we go to the park with our children together. Not once did we take them out to eat together. Not once did we get a babysitter and go out together unless it was uh, his birthday and his boss's birthday and a promotion for their waffle shop. Knowing, and he knows that I do not honor birthdays. It is a pagan tradition to me, but he, you know, I wanted to make my husband happy. And in doing that, I saw that I made him an idol. Okay, I had no business at that birthday celebration. But I went, I wanted him to be happy with me. I wanted to have a happy moment with him. Okay. Um, so anyway, like I said, you know, nine months and there was nothing there. Uh, I think two months after he was home, maybe even a month, my children were saying, mommy, we made a mistake. Mommy, we don't want him back home. Even apologizing, you know, sorry, mommy, because um, for some time, you know, I was I had become OK with the breakup. I prayed and I fasted and I did beg Yahuwah for the restoration of my marriage. But then after um, some time, you know, he, he wouldn't take the children's phone calls. Um, he he just completely ignored them, even when my, my middle son, when, when our son would cry out and lash out and text and email, he would completely ignore it. And let me just say, there was never any reason for my babies to have to apologize. That was me. I made a choice as an adult to reunite the family. Yes, with the hopes of giving them a better life, but I also wanted to be in a marriage with my husband. Okay, so there was never a reason for my babies to, to apologize. And it's just such a shame that they had to go through this, that we had to go through this. And um, I've, I told myself, you know, he's under the influence of that woman. His children miss him and need him. I made a vow and a commitment to Yahuwah for my marriage that I would, you know, um, forsake all others and keep my eyes on my husband and honor him and, you know, the whole spiel. So I began to pray for my husband and I said, you know, maybe I'm being, you know, not a good wife. I should be on the battlefield for my husband. I should be praying, you know, this woman who's lowered him away from the family. He's always been that way, though. You know, the, the, those were things I was just telling myself foolishly, because when I think back, my husband and I were together since 2004. OK, in 2005, I found out about his horrible cheating. And I stayed and I justified it by cheating back. You know, I would cheat and, and he would cheat and I would find him cheating and huh, a mess. Okay. So basically the first time I cheated, um, it was a clap back. It was, uh, I needed something, you know, to help me stay with him. I don't know what the hold was. Actually, I do. He was honestly my first uh, long-term relationship. I had been a worker in the sex industry for many years after I had my first son. 
So up in 2004, I was pregnant and I wasn't sure who the father was. Um, for a while, I was dating this guy named Franklin and um, we broke up because I was very loose. I was a very loose woman. Franklin tried to be so good to me. This guy, oh my goodness. Oh, family. I lost a good one with that one. So this man was amazing to me. Um, when I met him, I was young. I was in my early 20s or mid-20s. Yeah, early to mid-20s when I met Franklin. And um, I didn't even have a birth certificate. You know, I was just ripping and running the streets. At that time, my son was staying with my mom, who, um, thank God, by the time, you know, by the time my son was born, my mom was a totally different person, so I was able to trust her with my son, okay, so my son was staying with my mom so that he could finish off kindergarten, because she and I had got into it, and she kicked me out of the house, or I left, however that went, but my son was able to stay, so anyway, I would visit my son frequently at my mom's house, so that's how I met Franklin, he actually lived across the street from my mother, and when I tell you, me and this guy, we just fell in love instantly, and he was amazing to me. I can't stop saying that. Um, and so much so that Franklin took on two jobs. He was trying to help me find a job and I was, you know, I was going to all the places that, you know, he would send me and refer me to or whatever, but I just was unlucky. I wouldn't get hired. He would get hired. Like he got a job at a gas station. Okay. I'm rambling on about me and Franklin. So the, the thing is, um, so in order to take care of me and my son and his bills, he was willing to allow me to play the part of a housewife, okay? Um, and his only requirement was that I didn't go outside and hang out in front of the building or sit on the stoop because uh, the neighbors would talk. You know, he came from a very traditional family, a very traditional Nigerian family. So they, you know, their women are supposed to be a certain way and rightfully so, let me just say that. Um, so, you know, that was his only requirement that I just didn't hang out and look like, you know, a busybody or a lazy woman, okay? So just pretty much stay in the house, clean, cook, and take care of my son. If I went out, I needed to take the baby, you know, and, you know, be a mom. There was no hanging out on the stoop after a certain amount of time. And I, and I knew that, and I heard that. So anyway, <laughs> um, Franklin ended up taking on two jobs to be able to support me and my son and pay his bills and send money back home to his family. And um, at first, I was, like, good with it. But then it was like I never saw him. We lived together, but literally he would work those two jobs, come home and sleep, and, like, do it all over again, okay? And uh, I was complaining about it, and then he's just like, what do you want from me? I'm trying to support us. So I began to be rebellious and hang out outside. Right. So this one night, I will never forget it, guys. Um, this one night, he was in, because uh, we, we, we were renting rooms, okay? It was a private house, but, like, we had our own room. And on that floor, it was three rooms on that floor. So everybody was pretty much like a family. Like, when I cooked for Franklin, I cooked for everybody. You know what I mean? Um, so this one night, I was like, him and all his bros, they were like, they got together, they came over, and they all went in the one room and, like, were watching movies and, like, hanging out and drinking and whatever they were doing. And I noticed, like, he didn't come in the room. And it was, like, midnight or something. And I was pissed off. And my son was asleep. 
So I said, you know what, I'm going outside. When he came out of the room, I, and I didn't tell anybody, I didn't tell him I was going outside. When he came out of the room, my son was in the other room by himself and I was outside. It's not like I even went to hang out. Um, I went to the store. I went to the store and I grabbed something to drink or whatever. And I, I kind of stood in front of the house and I was a heavy cigarette smoker at that time. So I stood in front of the house, I smoked a cigarette, uh, kind of walked around the block a bit, whatever. I was gone for maybe about 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes tops. I get upstairs, he's awake. His friends are awake, like the whole house is awake, and everybody's like looking for me frantically. And I'm like, chill out, I went to the store. All I know is like he kinda yelled at me and I yelled at him and he went to slap me and I beat him up. No, seriously y'all, I lost it. I said, you said you would never hit me. (laughs) And yeah, I threw everything that wasn't nailed down. Probably I even grabbed stuff that was nailed down. So anyway, um, how did that how did that go? So went crazy on him and his good friend Peter was able to get the situation under control. Peter got me in the house and Frank actually went across the street to my mother. He went across the street to my mother and sat on the stoop and cried and explained the situation to my mother. I will never oh my gosh, I will never forget this. Um so then I went downstairs, and I'm kind of going to talk to my mother or whatever. So I go upstairs to my mom's house, and my mom is frank, and everything is... Uh, so anyway, at the end of the day, everybody, in everybody's views, I was wrong. I was being disrespectful, um, and whatever. My thing is, don't touch me. Do not touch me. I, that's just don't touch me. So um, anyway, so I, I forgave him. But we were never the same. Like, the whole respect thing went out the window. I did what I wanted. Okay? Um, I did what I wanted until I just was like, yeah, I'm done with this. So I moved. I moved. um, And then I found that I was pregnant when I moved. Okay? So, like, directly after I broke up with him, I started hanging out in this spot called Sam's on 149th Street and 3rd Avenue. No, 149th Street Grand Concourse. And I met this chocolate, gorgeous, oh my goodness, chocolate, slim, handsome guy. And I didn't even know his real name. We we just knew him as Butter. He introduced himself to me as Butter. And uh, Butter and I, um, we began to see each other very briefly. Um, I remember maybe about two or three occasions meeting up in a telly or whatever, and that pretty much was it. Um, guys, I found out I'm pregnant. I don't know whose baby this is. Before I met Frank, let's back up, because I know you guys heard me when I said I was working in the sex industry and things of that nature before me and my husband got together, right? So before I met Frank, I tried to be a stripper because I'm a very good dancer. I tried to be a stripper because selling crack was scary. I had um, I had got caught on the block one time trying to sell some cracks. That's a whole story for another time, family, all right? Um, but anyway, so stripping was hard, though. I thought because I was a dancer and I'm really, really good at dancing that, oh, my gosh, they, the dollars was about to be raining on me. I did a few sets once or twice. <laughs> Uh, at the G spot and then at uh, this place called Paradiso and then another hole in the wall 
on one seventieth in college. Oh goodness. All right. Um. So anyway, the stripping thing didn't work out, and there was something called VIP. If you guys know anything about VIP, then you already know that your sister Aja Batia Leisha Israel Reed was a prostitute. Yes. So VIP was easy. You know what I mean? 15 minutes or one, you know, what you call it, um, you know, one night. Yeah, pretty much. So I charged for that. And once that was done, that's that. And I'd go through a few partners a night. Okay. This was the life that your sister was living. Okay. So when I got with Frank, it was a way to just be in a monogamous relationship. Okay. Um, and, and just have, and be somebody's girlfriend. And Frank, man, he got, you know, we got engaged. You know, he proposed to me and introduced me to his family. And we were planning a trip to Nigeria. And, like, literally, he would take my son to the park. This man helped me get, he was, you know, from another country. And he helped me get my ID and my social and my birth certificate and all that stuff. He was amazing. But anyway, um, yeah, so I was a loose, wild girl. So when me and him broke up, I said, up, oh, I'm going back to the club. But yeah, I wasn't trying to work or sell myself at that point. I just wanted to be in the club atmosphere, and that's where I met Butter. So whatever, um, hooked up with Butter, and I noticed I started to like him, and I didn't want to like anybody. So like after the third, yeah, it was the third time. After the third time we hooked up, um, I stopped taking phone calls from him or whatever. I didn't, I wouldn't speak to him anymore. So we just kind of like never saw each other again. So at that time, I wasn't living with my mother, okay? But my son was still living with my mother and I was living with my son's grandmother, my baby father's mother, because my oldest is not from my husband. I have a 23-year-old. I don't talk about much, okay? Um, he's alive. He's well, okay? I think he just got signed to some record label or something. I saw something on Facebook. But, um, yeah, we don't really have a close relationship, unfortunately. So, where am I in this story, guys? Okay, so, um, pregnant, don't know who the baby is, baby's daddy is. Um, when I did tell Franklin about the baby that I was pregnant, uh, at that time, he knew that I was in a shelter. Yeah, because I was living at my baby father's mother's house, right? So, when I went through the shelter system, I took a, a pregnancy test and found out I was pregnant. Um... And I, I, I did reach out to Frank soon after that, but I told him I was going to have an abortion. So here was the deal. Basically, he's like, he wanted to know what I wanted to do. Um, it seemed like, you know, he was okay with it either way. Understanding that he and I wasn't together anymore. Um, you know, he just pretty much was like, what do you want to do? I'm like, you know, I'm in a shelter now because I left my baby father's mother's house for reasons that I'm going to get into on another segment. All right. Um, but anyway... And I said, I'm not going to keep it. You know, I'm not in the position where I could keep it. So he says, okay, so you don't want to keep it? I says, no. So he gave me a few hundred dollars. I don't even remember how much I told him it cost. About $300, about $350, I told him it was. And he gave it to me. And <laughs> I had Medicaid at the time. So I knew that, you know, if I wasn't going to keep the baby, I was going to just use Medicaid to um, have an abortion, okay? But I didn't because... I just couldn't. Um, I didn't believe in abortion. I still don't believe in abortion, depending on the circumstance. I do believe in the, the freedom of choice, though. I do. I'm sorry, you know. And a lot of people may be like, well, you know, she believes in Yahuwah. And she serves, you know, 
are under the teachings of Yahushua. How could she believe in, in any form or any type of abortion? I'm sorry, I'm still on the gate with that. Um, I just, I'm like a rape victim should not have to have her rapist's baby, right? Then some radical people, you know, would say, well, it's, you know, the most high who's the author and finisher of life. And if he allowed the baby to be consumed and, you know, conceived in the womb and, you know, then it's right. But, you know, and I challenge that because I say, well, what about these transgenders that say that they were like that from in the womb? Then how can that be a mistake and an abomination against the most high? Right. So there's a whole bunch of these gray areas that people don't want to deal with or talk about and judge. You know, so I I live in my own truth, family, and I believe that sometimes there is a reason for abortion. I'll take that up with my father. OK, um, but, you know, if you willingly have unprotected sex. Whether you're with the person or you're not with the person, whether it was a one night stand or what. If it was a nasty incestual thing that both of you people that were related in the family decided to have sex and a baby comes out of it, how dare you have an abortion? How dare you? Or, you know, under those circumstances, abortion is definitely a no-no, okay? But under, you know, crazy circumstances, you know, your father done raped you. You don't want to have your father's baby. You shouldn't, all right? But anyway, going back to me, all right, um, I was not about to do that, okay? I, uh, at that time, I was not, I, you know, so I was raised Christian. Let's be clear. I was raised Christian. And my first um, encounter with the Holy Spirit of the Most High, I was 13 years old. And I was uh, in, in uh, a church with my foster mother's uh, best friend. Um, and she took me to church, okay? So, but anyway, you know, at that time, in my mid to early 20s, um, I still had a passionate love Honestly, y'all, wilding out, tripping out, selling tail, selling drugs, doing this, doing that. I still had such a love for him in my heart, or as much love as I could muster up at that time. So, so much so that I would be in a strip club, believe it or not, preaching, talking to somebody about the Most High, saying, this ain't it for you. You know, he's got a plan for your life. I promise, y'all, I promise. Most of the times at the G-spot, I would be sitting at the bar talking. I didn't get customers. I was talking to people and they loved me. And then um, one of the pimps that was there named Khalil, I, yo, you know, I was his boo thing. Me and him, we never slept together or nothing like that. And if we did, I don't remember. Um, but he just loved me. He loved the way I moved and carried myself. So I just felt like even there, you know, Yahuwah was gracing me to talk to whoever I spoke to. All right. But anyway, let's keep it, keep it pushing. So I just wanted to give you guys kind of like, you know, uh, understanding of the kind of girl I was. So, um, I ended up pregnant with this baby and my son and I were in a homeless shelter because I left his grandmother's house. And I'm going to tell you guys why real quick on the count that I had smoked crack. I tried crack with his aunts. Okay. That my son's family is very heavy in drugs. Okay. They're either crackheads, dope fiends, pill poppers, you name it, they take it. And, um, you know, I don't have family of my own. My mother's relatives, you know, we just don't, they don't deal with me. They never did since I was a little girl. And that's something that, you know, I've just, I've come to accept at this point in time. So, but anyway, his family to me was family. So I wanted to be down. Okay. So as I was already hooked on cocaine, um, it was easy to try crack. Okay. So I smoked crack about four or five times. 
guys and I think that fifth time I liked it a lot and I actually went with, with his aunt Helen um, and purchased the crack with her and I knew I had a problem I called my grandmother and I said grandma I'm a crackhead help me and she's just like you need to read the bible and I picked up the bible and I threw that thing I said what is these words on the page gonna help me with my life I'm smoking crack grandma <laughs> Um, so anyway, uh, but lo and behold, not that night, but the next night I picked up that Bible and it changed my life forever that night. Okay. But let's keep, um, you know, let me stay on track here. So anyway, my son and I were in the shelter and I'm pregnant and, um, I refused to have an abortion, but I didn't want the baby either. So I got a black and white marble notebook. I'll never forget it. And I began to write prayers every day, asking the Most High to please forgive me for using my body in the way that I was using it. And I asked him, I said, if you please take this baby back, take it away from me, then I will pledge my body to you. And I will never let another man touch my body other than my husband, whomever my husband will be. Okay. Um, and guys, we've already been, I've been 24 minutes in. Let's break for commercial. I will be right back. <laughs> Okay, family, I'm back. So where did I leave off? Okay, my marble notebook. So I wrote in the notebook, you know, prayers every day. And I did this for months throughout the pregnancy. Okay, so um, by the time I reached, I'm going to say my, yeah, I was six months. Um, my son, my, my older son, his birthday was coming up. So I was in a shelter and I got a pass. To um, go out for the weekend And I wanted to throw him a birthday party So his birthday is April 17th And that weekend um, The 15th the, You know Saturday was the 15th So I got the pass out and I did his birthday party On that Saturday Okay um, And By this time now I had stopped writing In the book Now I'm about five, about six months Like I said I'm about six months so now I've stopped writing in the book. I kind of came to terms with the fact that I was pregnant and I was going to be having a baby. Okay, I went so far as to name it. You know, in my mind, it was a girl. Now, mind you, for the six months, I hadn't really gotten uh, much prenatal care. I started to get really sick, though, so I was always, you know, running to the emergency room. And they kept telling me, you know, my pregnancy was fine. There was nothing wrong with me. The swelling that I was experiencing was normal. Guys, I had undiagnosed preeclampsia, okay? And um, I ended up making it to seven months of pregnancy, okay? But let's just back up a little bit. So um, I threw the party for my son's birthday at my mom's house. And um, the morning after the party, I had a dream that I was dying. I'll, I'll break the dream down later to you guys, okay? But... I woke up from this dream and I screamed for my little sister, Jessica. And I'm like, Jessica, help me. Where are you going? She says, I'm going to the emergency room because I didn't go to work last night. You know, I didn't go to work today on account of the party last night. So I need, uh, you know, an emergency room letter or whatever. And I says to her, I need to go with you. I'm dying. So she ran into the room and when she saw how I looked... Um, and she described it as like the marshmallow puff man. She said I looked like she just screams and called for my mother. And they called up the, the, you know, they called 911. And um, the ambulance got there like immediately. And when they got to the house, my blood pressure was 203 over 180. 
And so, you know, that, that was really bad. So they rushed me to uh, Bronx Lebanon Hospital where I was admitted. And um, once admitted and, you know, test out and checked out, they said that the problem was with the baby, that the baby was actually not, you know, not in good condition and it was making me sick and that uh, my life was on the line and that they needed to remove the baby. Now, by this time, guys, I had already gotten used to being pregnant, I told you. And, you know, I named the baby. And I said it was a girl. I was going to name her um, uh, Azure Amor. Okay. Um, anyway, so they admitted me April 17th. And on April 24th, as I was watching the news in the morning, they were inaugurating this pope. And... Um, I'm rubbing my stomach and I'm noticing my stomach is not, you know, the baby wasn't moving and this baby was active all the time, always moving around in my belly. And it just, she just wasn't moving that morning. So I knew, I kind of knew it. Okay. Um, and mind you guys, I had my notebook with me in the hospital and you can imagine my prayers were completely different by this time, but, um, I had already, you know, made my, um, I guess my deal with Yahuwah. Okay, and he was faithful. So, um, I, I called for the nurse. They did the ultrasound. They heard nothing. And the nurse was encouraging me. She says, no, 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 the baby's probably fine. I was really, really big and heavy. She said, you know, maybe you're just big. We can't find the heartbeat, blah, blah, blah. But I knew. So, my doctor was, um, she was there still. Up in, you know, she was sleeping. Um, I guess, you know, you know how doctors do. They stay overnight in the hospital, whatever. Anyway. Um, they called her, she came down, and she did the sonogram, and I couldn't look, you know, and she was, she pretty much was like, yeah, you know, the baby's gone. So now, I, I get up off the, I said, I gotta use the bathroom, but before I got and went to use the bathroom, I wrote in that notebook, I says, Father God, and at that time, I knew our Savior, um, by the false name of Jesus Christ, and I wrote, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, you know, please just keep me strong for what I'm about to go through. And that was it. I went to the bathroom. I shed a tear and that was it. Like literally like a tear came out, came back. And so now they're explaining to me the procedure and what they have to do. Now, my first son was a C-section. So I had not had the privilege and the honor of pushing a baby out. But they were telling me now that I had to push this dead. Oh, can you imagine? So I'm like, no. You guys can do another C-section. So they were explaining that, you know, C-sections were only, you know, for emergency situations to save the baby and stuff like that. And the baby was already gone. So I says, well, I'm going to go to. So they were saying, no, you don't understand. You know, the, the toxins are being released in your system. And I said, well, then I'm gonna just going to die too. Um, you know, God is faithful. You know, I'm like, if you guys can't get it out, then me and the baby going to die. Oh, my goodness. Relatives that I didn't know gave a crap. My Aunt Gail came to the hot I mean, you know, people, they were just coming and whoever didn't come, they were calling, you know, Asia, you know, because, um, you know, my family calls me Asia. My, my name is spelled A-J-A, so I have renamed myself Aja. Um, anyway, they're like, Asia, you can't do this, this and that. And then my little sister, Jessica, she came and she was just crying. And she says, oh, my gosh, you know, I had a dream about you last night that you were in like a fish tank and these fish was wrapped, um, something, just stuff was wrapped around your ankles and poison was going through your body she's very prophetic she's a dreamer um so yeah that's what was happening to me but I'm still like I don't care I'm not doing this I'm not pushing it out so they finally found um someone who was prepared to do a DNE, a dilate and evacuate 
with me, okay, in my condition. But the, the thing was, my blood pressure was just so unstable. It was just so high. It was bad. Um, they really didn't want to do it. But praise y'all, they found a doctor who was willing to take the risk and do it. And um, even Franklin, Franklin came to the hospital because he thought I had an abortion, y'all. All right. So he came to the hospital. He's just like, oh my god, I, you know, it was just crazy and it was really dramatic. So um, after that. After the baby experience, and this was in April of um, 2004, I went straight celibate mode. I, you know, kept my promise to the most high. I did slip once, though. I slept once, but then that was it. I was on straight lockdown, straight Bible study in my shelter room, serving, praising, worshiping, just, you know, everything. And um, then my the person who was my best friend at the time, um, he had came to see me at the shelter and, you know, let me know his brother was out of jail and, and stuff like that. So I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, that's cool, but I'm your sister. You know, you don't got no brother. I'm your sister. It's me and you. That's how tight I was with him. So anyway, uh, I met his brother eventually and married him. And that is how I met my husband through his brother, who was my best friend at the time. Um, so I met him. And we became really close, really tight, really quickly. We didn't see each other physically, but like we were on the phone all the time. I remember we would burn out the $10 uh, T-Mobile prepaid phone cards just talking to each other. It was like that. But wait, let me just, I, I feel like I missed a little bit. We didn't just jump into, you know, from the phone to a relationship. So um, one, one uh, summer afternoon in August, uh, his brother called me and says, you know, I'm celebrating my birthday with another one of our friends in the neighborhood. Pull up. I want you to come. I'm like, all right. Um, you know, I don't smoke weed and stuff like that no more. You know, I'm into church and everything like that. And he's like, nah, you don't got to do nothing. Just come and, you know, be with your bro. So I went and um, that is when I met my husband. He was standing in front of my mother's building, and at first, when I came out the building, I mistook him for his brother, and then I'm like, oh, no, that's not him, and then um, whatever, so the night uh, went on, and, you know, he was literally, literally, like, staring me down, um, and I noticed it, and I was trying to ignore it. Um, I actually, know. I started to kind of um, flirt with another one of our friends that was out there to kind of like throw him off. I'm like, I'm going to act like, you know, I mess with you. Um, and God rest the dead. Man, he was a cool dude. But anyway, um, yeah, so that was the night that I met him. Um, so like for three months straight that went on and then I moved out of my shelter into my first apartment. I invited him to come hang up some curtains and then I invited him to a Thanksgiving dinner and we got together like that night. Um, that was, uh, November 28th, 2005, I believe. Yeah. So, um, and then from there, we just had a really volatile, crazy relationship. And I kind of latched on to him because the life that I had lived, I hadn't had the luxury of having, you know, one man, aside from Franklin, you know, that, that wanted to be with me in that way and just, you know, take me serious. Um... And I clung to it. And I told this man everything about myself. And guys, our first argument, you know, he let me know that I was nothing but a whore that sold herself. Eh. And I still married him. Anyway, that's enough talking for now. But guys, it is official. We have broken up. 
again. Oh, you guys have been listening to your sister, Aja, Batia, Leisha, Israel, Reed. And guys, I am free from the fungus I called a marriage. We're going to talk more about this a little bit, but I'm going to wrap this up for now. Thanks, guys, for listening. And I'm going to tell you something, though, before I go. Sexually transmitted distractions. Sexually transmitted demons are real. Stay away from these sons of Satan, ladies. Until next time, you've been listening to Asha Bhatia, Leisha Reed, because I have something to say. Later.
But now I used to love him, but now 